You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. For those of you, oh, hi. (laughs) You're so friendly. That's good, I lead it. For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Stephanie Voss, or Pastor Stephanie Voss, as your order of service says. But it's it's been a long time since I've been Pastor Stephanie. And even seeing that word printed in front of my name raises my heartbeat and makes me squirm a little bit. And then having people know that about me and having lots of people know that as one of the first things they know about me makes me squirm even more. So please don't hold it against me. (laughs) Trust me, like whatever fears or scars or reluctance this brings up for you, I'm with you. So let me rewind. I went into ministry because I was obsessed with what connected us to each other. Because I knew with everything in me that life was dimensional and magical. And because I believed that loving other people was the best way to live. I wanted to tell people that they were loved and lovable. I wanted to build communities of impact. And I wanted to explore all of the questions that the poets and painters and prayers had puzzled over since the beginning of time. And the only place I saw people having a spiritual life was at the Lutheran church my family attended. This is how I make sense of it to myself anyways, at least for now. So I made a professional life around these things. I went to seminary, worked in a hospital, lived at a monastery, worked at churches from Anchorage to Grand Marais to South Minneapolis, And on the one hand, I had my dream job. I got to read and write and share and teach about what I was constantly learning. I got to be part of people's lives in a meaningful way. I got to be creative and curious. It was the best job I've ever had. Now in all of this, I haven't yet mentioned Jesus. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, Let me tell you, my bishops and my congregations noticed. (laughs) Listen, it's not that I didn't like Jesus. It's just rather than talking about Jesus, I talked about what he talked about. Justice, compassion, generosity, kindness, inclusion, which, by the way, are the same things I see in Thich Nhat Hanh, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila, Martin Luther King Jr., the list goes on. Now, every story has two sides, so I'll try to tell you what I understand from their perspective. When I'm most compassionate, I can see that it's totally legitimate to want your Lutheran pastor to be Christian. My version of the story is that I got kicked out for being too progressive. (laughs) If there's one part of the gospel stories that I know to be true, it's that the religious leaders and officials freak out when people try to do things differently. Look it up. The people who hated Jesus the most were the religious stakeholders and gatekeepers called the Pharisees. 
And some of my favorite parts of the Bible, at least lately, are Jesus' harsh rebukes for them. I have my own deep wells of anger that I have not yet hit the bottom of. And it's so refreshing and selfishly satisfying for me to see Jesus yelling at these men, because it was all men at the time. And while we disagreed on theology, the other thing worth mentioning is the sexism and the ageism I faced. The comments were more about the color of my pants, no joke, and what shoes I was wearing than any substantive conversation about why I wasn't allowed to rewrite portions of the order of the service. So at 28, they asked me to leave. Well, being Lutherans in Minnesota, I got a call from the bishop saying she'd like me to draft a letter requesting that I be removed from the roster. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that period except that exile hurts. I had to completely start over professionally. I felt like I had lost not only my career and a lot of my identity, but the community that had raised me, my friends and colleagues, my school classmates, and that little tea trauma hit me in unexpected moments. I cried four separate times that year when I went to church on Christmas with my family. Hell, I cried last month at my great aunt's funeral once or twice for her, but also hearing the organ, singing the hymns, seeing the cross at the front, and honestly, seeing a woman up front preaching. And you know what I was thinking? It's so unfair that I don't get to do that anymore. That Christmas, I cried during the sermon because it was so terrible. <laughs> and all I could think about was what a wasted opportunity it was and how I wanted to be up there doing it better. When the community needed some good news, some light in the darkness, we're huddled in our sweaters in the snow having a terrible year, and all you can tell us about is the history of this stupid, boring hymn? You can passive-aggressively remove the girl from church, but you can't take the divine curiosity and calling out of the girl. So for years, I have been in this rut. I can't go back, but I can't go without. So I've been going very slowly. I stepped into this place last fall, and I was so ready to hate it. <laughs> but I didn't, <laughs> and it freaked me out. <laughs> so I came again, and the second week, I had only one rule. I couldn't cross my arms. I kept coming back and coming back, and suddenly I'm here. I'm trying not to let the people who ruined church for me be the people who define what that means to me anymore. I hide my story thinking that people will project all of their own baggage onto me, and they very well may do that, but it's my own hangups that are the real problem. It's my anger and my prejudice that are holding me back now. It hurt to be locked out. It hurt to be silenced. It hurt to be told I couldn't do what I love. I don't have an ending to the story except to say that I'm here right now, that the word pastor is printed in front of my name for lots of people to see, 
and I'm actually sharing some of my story. But I'm still in the slow return. I'm still squirming. I still tell most people that I used to be a therapist or a community activist or a public speaker for a living. I want to be able to see the nuance of people who are involved with churches instead of lumping them into the category of people who hurt me. I want to be able to use my gifts and questions and passion in a way that makes a difference. I want to be able to use the word God and not be uncomfortable. I want to be able to write and talk about the story without crying. I want to be able to say again with pride that I was a pastor. And I'm not there yet, but I'm making my way. So come, let us worship together. The quotes you're about to hear from us are from the UU lay people around the country. Many belong to the UU Christian Fellowship. I share a desire for the freedom to test the outer limits of my Christian faith. Within my church, I am not told I am wrong, just looked at quizzically when I say I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I remain a UU Christian as a witness to those in mainline Christianity that, yes, universal salvation is alive and well, and it is a beautiful option for those people mired in shame-based churches. I have been a UU for 20 years, preceded by 20 years as a Mormon and 20 years as a Presbyterian. For, for family reasons, I struggled to be a good Mormon, but the oppression of sexism and fundamentalism was strangling my soul. I took a 180-degree turn. Leaving was very disruptive on my marriage and confusing to my children and friends. I love finding Unitarian Universalism where I was not required to believe, only to question the integrity of my values in life. The questioning was from the pulpit by a wonderful minister. It was my responsibility to my own follow-up and searching beyond that. While the minister might state their beliefs, it was always labeled as such. I was not required to follow. I was not a bad person or failure if I chose not to. I could be a Christian here. A UU congregation is a reflection of its demographics, location, history, and ministers. This is particularly true in small congregations in areas that don't match the normal UU demographics, like liberal, urban, college town, academics, first ring suburbs. I've been a member of a small congregation for five years. It has not met my expectations, which were unrealistic given the location. I've had to face that I alone am responsible for my spiritual path and nourishment. God language is not very welcome in my congregation. I joined the Unitarian Universalist Christian Fellowship because I needed a place where I could connect with God, and perhaps Jesus, in a safe, supporting environment. Attending a revival encouraged me to form a small UU fellowship within my congregation. There are six of us. We are theists, but we welcome atheists in love and without the condemn condemnation we received at the local UU church. I love the path that I'm on with, within Unitarian Universalism and constantly seek to build upon the work of those that have gone on before. I remember several years ago when I was serving on the church board in a UU church and we were discussing how to grow our membership. I said that it would be great to maybe to reach out to those disaffected Christians in the local community. Maybe we could grow from them. I was told to please keep my opinions to myself. Believe me, I still love those people, 
but I feel sad for the short-sightedness and the fear that was driving their response. Like many of us, our parents always had a certain expectation on how we're supposed to behave in public. <laughs> we're supposed to follow instructions, listen to adults, behave respectably. Sometimes that listening to adults part was difficult for me <laughs> because of the long hours of sitting in those hard back chairs listening to conversations that I frankly thought were ridiculous, senseless, and most of all, just plain boring. So I'd squirm in my chair, and I'd do it a lot. Moving from side to side was my way of registering to all that would see me that I am uncomfortable, I am disinterested, and I'm going to distract you by squirming so that you'll look at me and not listen to what's going on. So my discomfort will hopefully not make you pay attention. And to respond to what my mother perceived as unacceptable behavior, she would reach under the table, look for an open piece of skin, <laughs> and proceed to twist a piece of skin into a circle <laughs> so tight that the skin would stand up on my thigh often. And I would try so hard not to scream, which would have been equally offensive to what I called her then Mommy Dearest. <laughs> so I stopped squirming. I'm not a fool. So I listened, and sometimes I even learned something, to my own surprise. So today, church, I ask you, as we do on Sesame Street, as we do in preschools, as we do at home with our four-year-old, we say, get your wiggles out. I ask you to do the same. Stop squirming for a while as we explore one particular and unique relationship with Jesus and Christianity. Because you too, much against your will, may learn something. <laughs> I love y'all, you know that. <laughs> if I have to say that, you know it's trouble coming. <laughs> Many Unitarian Universalists squirm when they consider the constructs and the events that undergird our faith. Some of us squirm because we do not know much about our Christian antecedents. Others would prefer not to learn the depth of this history because they trigger emotions about how unfairly Sister Mary Catherine treated you in fourth grade. Or we remember the spiritual abuse and degradation that we receive by those who would use dogma to oppress our intellect and curiosity, and most of all, squash our identities. Some of us squirm like Dracula in a coffin at daylight. You know how Dracula, as soon as he sees that, right? 
I call this cross cringe disease. <laughs> We're afraid and suspicious of Jesus because of personal memories or the last 40 year of 40 years of success by the Christian rights hijacking of Christianity. Our cross cringe feelings range from mild discomfort to rigid antagonism to out and out rage. I've been in far too many discussions with you use over my last 20, almost 25 years in ministry. You use where Christianity where is, is sort of like the unmentioned elephant in the room, which demonstrates the tension that it's an unmentioned elephant. Some of us quietly miss Christianity. Some of us are in a lifelong marathon running away from it everywhere we go. Some feel alienated from it and find it distasteful. But like a dysfunctional family, with a secret, we seem to have an unspoken agreement not to bring it up. We don't say much of anything, positive or negative. Very Minnesotan. <laughs> I've learned, I've been here five years, I'm getting it. You just don't bring it up at the cabin dinner. Just have another drink. You don't bring it up. You don't bring it up about Jesus. You don't bring up the Bible. And many of you use will look at you like you just left out, just burped out a loud belch if you do. And on those rare occasions when we do discuss it online, in discussion groups, or informally at coffee hour, too often we just debate whether Christianity is good or bad. We talk about it as if it had been defined once and for all time by some distant authority making it not definable or redefinable by us. But if our UU prophetic figures like Channing and Ballou and Parker and their contemporaries had looked at Christianity that way, there would be no Unitarian Universalism. Today, friends, I want to make an argument that this type of behavior about Jesus, the Bible, and Christianity among you use is developmentally immature <laughs> and intellectually dishonest, and most of all, it's hurtful to other people. Unitarian Universalism is rooted in the reformation of Christianity. When Martin Luther said no to the constraints of the Catholic Church, it is from this event in 1517 that sects of this Protestant, get it, protest, Protestant protest movement led to the theologies of the Radical Reformation, of which we are direct descendants. Think about Luther as like the Democratic Establishment Party, you know. <laughs> And think about the Radical Reformation for a minute, like the squad. <laughs> the descendants of the Radical Reformation, through the writings of Michael Servetus and others, did not accept the doctrine of the Trinity. 
wrote bunches of letters about it back and forth. If you've ever got a chance to read them, read these letters. They're amazing. They were skeptics and doubters, heretics and irritants to the mainstream Reformation. As a result, they were persecuted by the Catholics and the mainstream Protestants. Their ideas were tortured, their bodies were tortured, and their lives were bitterly attacked. But these early Unitarians were thoroughly biblical in their convictions, and they considered themselves Christian. Now, the distinction between a Unitarian Christian and a Trinitarian Christian is perhaps best explained by this distinction between the religious of the religion of Jesus, the religion he taught, and the religion about Jesus, the religion that centers on who Jesus was. It is a distinction that often trips us up because there are really two radically different religions in the New Testament. Okay, now a little Bible fact for you totally illiterate Bible people, I'm not judging, but I'm just gonna give you a little fact. This is the part of the Bible that has 27 books, the New Testament, that starts with the Gospels, those guys with names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other 39 books of the Bible are the Hebrew Bible, and that's the Bible our friends at Sheer Tikva read. Now, Bible fact over. Now, I remember that my grandmother, my Nana, had a Bible that she called, she said, Karen, go get the red letter Bible. Go get the red letter Bible. Those were the Bibles specially printed so that the words of Jesus appeared in red print. And everything else was in black. Now, years later in seminary, I realized that my Nana, who preferred the red letter Bible to everything else in the Bible, just the red words, she says, just read the red words. I don't want to hear the rest. <laughs> just read the red words. She was promoting a Unitarian Bible. Because if you examine only the words of Jesus, that is the teachings, you will find nothing remotely resembling a Trinitarian formula which asks us to worship him as if he were a god. Nada, nothing. All that talk came from those who lived after Jesus did, after. The religion that Jesus taught was primarily ethical. Think about it. How to live rightly. How to treat others. When Jesus was asked, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He did not answer with a creed to be believed. He answered by saying, you must love God and you must love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you're required to do. That's it. And then he illustrates that by telling that love by, through the parable of the Great Samaritan, which is an ethical story embedded in deeply in our popular culture. No dogma, just ethics. Nothing, absolutely nothing, was mentioned about believing in any creedal statement concerning the nature of the Godhead. Now, if we want to know the religion of Jesus, we cannot dwell upon the edicts and the proclamations of churches and religious political leaders. Look to the red letter words, I say. <laughs> Take, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus offers ethical advice. 
So whatever you wish others to do to you, do so to them. No argument there. Another cultural norm called the golden rule. He says, seek reconciliation with those with whom you have conflict with. In fact, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He offers advice on moral humility. And one of my all-time favorites, Jesus' smackdown lines. Jesus got some smackdown lines <laughs> that only an urban black woman can say. And I'm going to say it like I would say it to Mitch McConnell. <laughs> and it would go something like this. And this is right from Jesus, red letters, red letters right here. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? First, first. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Ooh, that's some smack down. <laughs> Jesus is gangster. <laughs> Jesus offers comforts to those who are troubled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He advises spiritual humility, telling people not to pray in public like the hypocrites, Christian Republicans, but practice your piety, your prayers, your spirituality in private. And I went back and looked at the Greek translation of this, and it translates to pray in places where you have relationships. I forgot that from seminary. Jesus offers hope and aspiration. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let the light shine so that others may see your good works. How many times have we in this church sung this little light of mine? The religion that Jesus taught has to do with loving your enemies, caring for the needy, putting principles above wealth and power, accepting those who are different, showing mercy, seeking justice, or as Jesus himself put it, I have come to preach the good news to the poor, Proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set to liberty those who are oppressed. Ain't got no argument there. I don't have any argument with those red letter words. But unfortunately, Christianity was shaped into something other than what Jesus taught. After Jesus died, others came along and said, you know, we could use this religion thing power, control, authority. And they taught a different religion, a religion about who Jesus was. And the focus of this new religion was on the divine nature of Jesus. And the earliest and most prominent proponent of that new religion was Paul, the apostle, the author of most of the New Testament. But you don't find many red letters in that part of the Bible because he didn't teach what Jesus taught. He taught a brand new thing centered on creating doctrinal prescriptions that degraded the true message of Jesus and wreaked havoc. And from that culture, wars, politics, and economics utilized Christianity to create a religion that's had a very checkered history over these past couple thousand years. On one hand, there's the legacy of persecution, violence, oppression, 
It's been used to justify evils ranging from slavery, oppression to, of women's rights, the denial of queer rights, and the promotion of politically retrograde anti-human policies. On the other hand, can't ignore this, Christianity has been the inspiration for great feats of generosity and benevolence. Hospitals and schools and children's homes and charity organizations have been formed out of Christian motivation. In most cities, there are probably more Christian-based social service welfare agencies that provide help to the needy than any other kind of agency. Now, I mention this aspect of Christianity simply to honor the fact that it has, over the generations, offered profound hope, courage, and comfort to so many. Hope, courage, and comfort are essential to any religion. And Christianity has provided the hope for the campesinos in Nicaragua, comfort to the civil rights activists in Selma, and courage for those at the border currently seeking asylum. For hundreds of years, you use practice a self-critical form of Christianity in our churches as they read the Bible and preached Jesus. One of the best examples of this self-critical approach, though, was a sermon by one of the greatest Unitarian ministers, thinkers, theologians, William Ellery Channing, who in 1826, in a sermon, said, when I think what Christianity has become in the hands of politicians and priests, how it has crushed the soul for ages, how it has struck the intellect with palsy and haunted the imagination with superstitious phantoms. When I think how under almost every form of this religion, its ministers have hewn and compressed it into the shape of rigid creeds and have then pursued by menaces of everlasting woe, whoever should question the divinity of these works of their hands. When I consider in a word how under such influences Christianity has been and still is exhibited in forms with shock alike the reason conscious in heart, I feel deeply painful what a different system it is from what Jesus taught. Channing, read them. Letting go wasn't easy. In the 1800s, in the 1880s, actually, the Unitarian debate centered on the statement of covenant, whether it should recognize that we follow the lordship of Jesus or the leadership of Jesus. Leadership won out in the 1880s. Later, the phrase became the spirit of Jesus. You see, friends, we have always been squirming with this. From Servetus to Channing to us and all those in between. The name Christianity has little to do with who we are today as you use, except for those UU churches that you may not have seen here in this part of the country, but they're in other parts of the country that have crosses in them and they still say the prayer of Jesus during worship. This group of Unitarians proudly claim our Christian heritage and refuse to let others define it for them. Their persistence in embracing our origins and framing the teachings of Jesus 
strengthen our collective movement and are important to our truth-telling as a people of faith. Now, friends, here's the question. How do we get out of an intellectual trap? How do you get out of an intellectual trap? Of being, say, more tolerant of a Rastafarian, very patriarchal, anti-choice, more tolerant of a Rastafarian than you are of an Episcopalian. Why? Succumbing to this unhealthy cognitive trap makes us look like hypocrites. Our presumed outlook of acceptance and open-mindedness is doubted by many who might seek to join us because of this behavior. Our beautiful principles and purposes command us to practice acceptance of other religions. Too often, I'm afraid, though, our tolerance has a blind spot. And do you ever catch yourself in this trap? I probably never find any of you criticizing Buddhism. No, sir, if I talk about Buddhism, it's all good. It's praying, yeah, Buddha, Buddha. Despite the genocide being waged by Buddhists against the Rohingya in Myanmar, just about everything we say about Judaism or Islam is sympathetic and understanding. We are even considering sharing space with the Jewish synagogue. Would we give the same consideration to a Baptist church? Many of you like nothing more than to strike up a conversation with an indigenous person who can tell you about their native religion. But when was the last time you asked your cousin who attends a Presbyterian church, how was the sermon today? When was the last time? We are all ears and completely open to attending the Hindu temple or the pagan ritual, or like me back in the 70s, eating the Hare Krishna meals at the airport. Y'all did that. I know y'all did that. <laughs> Us boomers, we remember. We're all open to that. We're fine. Anything. Now, we know that nothing's ever been simple about Jesus. We know that, and we know why it's complicated. He confounded and confused people in his own life, and it's no wonder he still confounds Unitarian Universalists today. And we're still squirming with him, his message, and the tradition that claims him as God. Yet I believe that people who are attracted to a place like this of free faith, spiritual seeking, and non-dogmatic religion have much to gain by grappling with the legacy of this teacher whose power and charisma remain undimmed from all those years ago. If anything, we're only beginning to understand the radical nature of that message. Now, I became a Unitarian Universalist because I was a very quarrelsome and irritating Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> I chose this faith because I could be a humanist, a die-hard humanist, who learns from Muhammad. I chose this faith because it has a tradition of open, openness, 
consideration of others, responsible freedom, and radical compassion. I chose this faith because I wanted to be a part of a religion not based on naysaying or rejection, but on positive, life-affirming messages to change the world. And I'm willing to do it with anybody else in the world from any other religion that wants to do that. That's why I'm a Unitarian Universalist. I chose this faith because I could be who I am and still let the words of Jesus impact my thinking and my feeling. It is equally ironic that this prophet of liberation and spiritual freedom is misunderstood by people attracted to a free faith and justice-seeking traditions. The world around us is deeply influenced for good or for ill by the spirit of Jesus. We need to be familiar with this incessant and determined character if we are to be engaged with our Christian siblings with integrity. We will benefit from wrestling, engaging, learning with them, not ignoring them, not avoiding them, and most of all, not eye-rolling at them because that's just plain rude. There is no doubt that Jesus is troublesome provocative, even annoying at times. But we Unitarian Universalists are also troublesome, provocative, and annoying at times. When Jesus was asked how best to follow him, he did not offer guidelines for creedal acceptance or ask for you to sign the membership book. Rather, he asked, did you feed the hungry today? Did you visit the widow? Did you tend to the sick? Did you write to or call or visit the prisoner? These are still good questions, and they should not make us squirm at coffee hour. Wow. Wow. Well, given that response, now I can even take a bigger leap. <laughs> uh, all ministers are gone, and next week is part two. But next week, you've got to read Luke 15. Those of you who've never seen a Bible, don't know where it is, just go Google Luke 15 and read that chapter, because we're going to do some stuff with that next week that's going to be wild. Luke 15. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, 
248-273-2526 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.